you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we'll pick up there this morning. Uh, before the video cut out, you were hearing from Dr. Paul Chitwood, who is the new president of the International Mission Board. And uh, what he was going to say is missions are important, and we should be faithful as a member of the Southern Baptist Convention to give toward the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That, that offering goes entirely to fund missionaries on the field. And so they depend on that offering. And so while I don't know exactly verbatim what he was going to say, I do know that that's the gist of what he was going to say. Uh, Mark chapter 2. We'll pick up and finish Mark 2 and move into chapter 3 this morning. But before we do that, uh, I just want to begin with prayer. So if you would pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you for time each week that we set aside to hear from your word. Sometimes, Lord, we come in here in a hurry. Sometimes we come in here distracted. Sometimes we come in here not rightly focused. Sometimes we come in here ready. Lord, however we have come in this morning, I pray that you would direct our attention and calm our hearts and steal our minds that we might hear from your word this morning. There is no single more important thing in our lives than to hear from your word. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and open the word to our hearts, cause it to live and to work in our lives. Pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning and ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, in case you haven't noticed, the Christmas season is almost here. I've noticed that via Facebook, some of y'all's homes. Looking very lovely, by the way. But the Christmas season is almost here. Tara and I went to the store yesterday. We've been, we're finally in our house, by the way. Uh, and so we've, we've been able to get into the house, and we've slept there for two nights. And if you've ever moved into a house, you know that you have to go to the store a lot because you can't find stuff. And so we went to the store last night, <clears throat> and walking into Walmart, outside, there were the remnants of the uh, mum display on the tractor for Halloween. Have you all seen that outside of Walmart? And inside the door, there was a 15-foot Christmas tree <laughs> last night. And so it's almost just this overwhelming Halloween and then Christmas, and somewhere in the middle, we eat for Thanksgiving. And it's just this season of bombardments from stores and from advertisers. But it's almost here. Decorations are already on sale. Stores will begin these massive scale advertisement schemes to get us to buy things. Decorations, holiday carols, family traditions, and as Tracy said, said down here a moment ago, presents. Presents, presents, presents. That's what Christmas is about, right? Getting presents. Yeah, I mean, if y'all are shaking your head. It is about presents, okay? But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, is this what Christmas is about? When you see all the, all the hype, all the decorations, all the things for sale, all the toys, all the gifts, all the things that we can fill up the holiday season with, have we ever paused to say, is this really what Christmas is about? 
Well, it seems that our Christmas holiday, not necessarily the church's holiday, but our culture's holiday, it seems that our Christmas holiday has become something it was never intended to be. Well, I'm not here to criticize Christmas, all right? I love Christmas. We have Christmas trees. We'll get them up soon. I'm not here to criticize Christmas. But in our text today in the Bible, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to come into conflict once again with the Pharisees over a tradition. And that tradition is the Sabbath. But the conflict is not over the tradition itself. Jesus is not going to say the Sabbath is wrong. The Sabbath is ultimately from Him. But the conflict is going to come over what the Pharisees had made the tradition into. You see, they had made it into something it was never intended to be. And just as we talked about last week, the tradition had become an idol. Their tradition of the Sabbath had become an idol in their lives. And not only an idol in their lives, but it kept them and kept others from God. And so you see on your notes, the main idea this morning is that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath and is himself the true meaning of Sabbath rest. So if you have your Bibles open, I'll invite you to stand. We'll pick up in Mark 2, 23. Mark 2, 23 says this. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their ways, disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful but any, for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. You may be seated. This is God's Word. I'd initially had this in two sermons, but... They fit together very well and and show the same point. And I think Mark has arranged them to do that to get us to this main idea that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath, and we'll explain that, but also He Himself is the explanation of the Sabbath. He has authority over it and is Himself, His person, is the explanation of of it. And I want to show this in two points. The first one you see on your notes is that Jesus releases us from legalistic pressure and frees us to joyful obedience. Now, a lot of times we hear the word legalism, or you might hear someone accuse someone else of being Pharisaical. You might have heard that. You're being a Pharisee, you're, you're only going by the rules. Well, that comes out of these types of stories. 
where I'm going to follow the law so closely that any deviation from the law is sin. And that's the way the Pharisees lived. They had set up the law, they held the law in such high regard that any deviation from the law was sin. But you recall maybe a few weeks ago, and I've mentioned it several times, that in order to protect the law, they tried to build protections around the law. They would say, well, if the law says we can't sin, then don't even get around sinners. Right? You remember that? The the, the law says don't sin, so don't even get yourself around sinners in order not to sin. Well, something similar is happening in this story. On the Sabbath, on the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday of our week, the seventh day of the week, the law from God was to rest. You will observe a Sabbath rest. You'll rest from your labors. And so the Pharisees, as they were trying to figure out, and I think it began with right intention, how do we properly honor God's law to observe a rest on the Sabbath? They began to say, all right, how do we do that? What are ways particularly and specifically that we can and should rest on the Sabbath? Well, I've mentioned a book several times called the Mishnah. It's the writings of the Jewish rabbis about the Bible, about the Old Testament. And in the Mishnah, as they have compiled all of this over the years, they've come up with 39 rules on the Sabbath. There are 39 things you cannot do on the Sabbath, and if you avoid all 39, you will properly fulfill the law of the Sabbath. You will rest if you complete, or you avoid all 39 of these rules. And one of those was reaping. If you sow a harvest and you have a harvest, you can't reap it on the Sabbath because that's working. And if you're working, you are not resting. And so you see in verse 23, on one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now a few things here. There, in the Mishnah, there's another regulation on how many steps away from your house you can take on the Sabbath. You can go out a number of steps and back that number of steps, but if you go one over, you have worked and you have violated the Sabbath. Well, the disciples are walking. They're walking through the grain fields and they're plucking heads of grain. And when they pluck heads of grain, they would pop them in their mouth and eat them because they were hungry. Because if you get the picture of what Jesus and his disciples are doing most of the time in the Gospels. They're walking, they're traveling, they're sleeping outside. They don't have these fancy coolers and campers that we have today. They're living outdoors. And so they're walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and they're hungry. So they're plucking heads of grain with their hands. They don't have a sickle. They're not harvesting. They're just plucking heads of grain. And the Pharisees, you see in verse 24, said, Why are your disciples harvesting? Why are they reaping on the Sabbath? Why are they reaping on the Sabbath? And so the, the, the Pharisees had gotten so particular about how to observe the Sabbath day that they had said, All right, even down to plucking a head of grain, that's a violation 
of the Sabbath law because you are working. And what we need to see is that the Pharisees had become more concerned with the disciples' behavior than they were with the law of God. They were more concerned with the behavior over worship. Now those two things are not always opposed. Here they are. But they're not always opposed. God is concerned with our behavior and our posture in our worship. But here, the disciples are, or the Pharisees are saying the disciples aren't behaving rightly. They're not asking, are they worshiping God or are they doing something wrong? They're saying they're not behaving. They're not acting according to our laws. Well, if we ask, what's the Sabbath for? Why did God institute a Sabbath for His people? We see Jesus said the Sabbath was created for man. It was created as a gift to man. It's a time to rest from our labors. It's a time to be rejuvenated, to be filled back up. But rather than recognizing the Sabbath as a broad law of rest, the Pharisees had made the Sabbath into a strict day of work. You see, the Sabbath goes all the way back to creation where it says on the seventh day, God rested from His labors. And God did that as a gift to you and I. Because whereas God does not tire, we tire very quickly. And I can tell you from a week of moving, I am tired. I realized I'm not as young as I used to be. I was sitting on the couch last night, and I'm like, Tara, I just hurt. (laughs) But God does not tire. God does not get tired as He works. But He rested in order to lay down a pattern for you and I as a gift to you and I. That one day a week we set aside that time to rest and to be rejuvenated. And so rather as seeing the Sabbath as a chance to rest and be rejuvenated and to enjoy God, the Pharisees said, how can we not violate the law against working? Do you see the difference in the question? How can I rest and enjoy God versus how do I not violate the law? Now both, both questions live in both worlds, but it's what we put an emphasis on. And the Pharisees were most concerned with behaving rightly. Because they thought, if I don't work, God will bless me. So their intentions were right. I want you to to hear me say that. They wanted to honor God and receive His blessing. But they thought the way there was to obey their way there. If I'm good enough, God will give me what I want, which is His blessing. Some of you act like that throughout the week. If I don't sin enough, God will bless me. And if we're honest, we all act like that from time to time. We fall into this thinking that God is keeping a check, a a list, and as long as I have enough checks in in the good column, I'm good with God. We think we have to outweigh our sin with our good stuff. And that's what the Pharisees thought. If I just behave enough, if I just observe the law enough, God will save me. And what they never saw, brothers and sisters, is that instead of seeing the Sabbath as it was, which was a day of rest and enjoyment of God, they made it into a day of work. Here are 39 things you cannot do in order to rest. 
We act like that as well. How do we enjoy God? Well, you have to do this, 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 and this because this is the way we've always done it and this is the way we're always going to do it. And this is the way that God has sanctioned. Without ever asking, like we saw last week, is this in line with God's Word? Because do you know what? The, the disciples were hungry. And God was pleased on a day of rest that they ate. But the Pharisees were putting up a barrier. And so Jesus, his challenge, what we're going to see, his challenge is not a violation of the Sabbath law. He's not violating the law that he himself gave. Jesus is challenging the Pharisees in order to show the true intention of the law, which is to bring flourishing. God wants his people to flourish. He wants us to enjoy him, to enjoy life, to lead fulfilling, satisfied lives. But God also defines what flourishing means. We don't get to decide what a good life is and say, all right, God, I've, I've kind of gotten things the way I want it. Will you bless me now? God defines in his word what it looks like to flourish. And the Pharisees had deviated from that. You see, some of us have set up holiness rules that we expect others to obey. Some of us have set up, like the Pharisees, holiness rules that we expect others to obey. Rules that we treat as biblical law, when actually, as like the Pharisees did, they're nothing but misunderstandings and perversions of the law. Let me say that again. Sometimes we set up holiness codes that we expect others to obey, and we treat them as the Bible, when in fact they aren't the Bible, and they are, they are opposed to the Bible. Some of these things include things like alcohol, smoking, cursing, conversion criteria. Anybody watching the news lately with Kanye West? Anybody know who that is? He is a well-known secular rapper who has led a pretty rotten life has been openly opposed to religion. And then almost out of the blue, the news story breaks. Kanye's been converted to Christianity. And churches and Christians are going, we'll see. We set up criteria to where we'll believe you're a Christian when you start acting in the right ways. When you've gone through enough of our tests. When you start wearing the right clothes and singing the right songs and doing our way. You see, Kanye is just like Levi last week. Someone who was not just a surprising convert, but an offensive convert. There are brothers and sisters inside the church that are offended that somebody like Kanye West has responded to the gospel. And shame on them. But sometimes we set up our own holiness codes... And we expect others to follow them. Sometimes those things can look like bylaws and constitutions. Sometimes those things can look like church traditions. Sometimes those things can look like fill in the blank. And instead of asking the purpose of the law, we, like the Pharisees, can sometimes make our own laws. So we might say to somebody, if you even go near alcohol, you're a sinner. If you even hang out with certain types of people, you're a sinner. If you even get close, 
you're a sinner. The Pharisees misunderstood the nature and the purpose of the Sabbath law. Instead of asking what's the purpose of the Sabbath law, which was freedom from God, they tried to determine every way not to violate it, which is slavery. They enslaved themselves to this law instead of finding freedom in it, which is what God intended. They actually ended up enslaving others as well. They set up man-made barriers to God. They kept themselves and others from God's grace. You see, they were like piano players who know all the notes but fail to make music. It's like I would sit over here at this piano player and I could play you a B flat and a C major and all these other different kinds of chords, but never put them together to where it sounds good. The Pharisees knew the law frontwards and backwards, but they had no idea what it meant. It would be like an actor who memorized all of his lines, but never committed to the character. You've seen those kind of movies where people just aren't invested in the character, but they know the lines, and it's just awkward to watch. Take, for example, property rights. Property rights in our country are not for the sake of making sure my neighbor stays off my lawn. Now, some of us treat our property rights like that. Property rights were never for the, pe- for the purpose of keeping you off my stuff. It was for the purpose of making sure I can enjoy my stuff. And in so doing, make sure that you can enjoy your stuff. But sometimes we flip those things and make them into something they were never intended to be. And Jesus shows us that the nature of the law is not perfect obedience, but fulfilling freedom. Yet so many of us spend all of our time and all of our energy striving to be perfect before God, never realizing that we are just bogged down in legal violation after legal violation. And all of their efforts to be right before God, the Pharisees were so wrong, they couldn't see it. They were treating the law as their means of salvation when in fact the law was meant to point them to Jesus who is salvation. That's what Galatians 3 verse 24 says. It says the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ or the law is a guardian that gets us to Jesus. And yet the Pharisees thought, I'll just get to God on my own and I'll do it through the law. But Jesus is showing in this story that the Sabbath is God's gift to man of rest and rejuvenation. And if the Sabbath Sabbath is a gift to man, which Jesus says very clearly in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. If it's a gift to man, then it is under man. And Jesus having authority over man has authority over the Sabbath. And so because he has authority over the Sabbath, he's able to rightly say what the Sabbath is for. This theme of Jesus' authority has been all throughout Mark, if you've been paying attention or even listening. Jesus has the authority to say these things and to do these things because he is God himself. And so he frees us from this legalistic approach to God and invites us into a life of joy. 
A life that's not bogged down with religious perfectionism, but a life that is freed to enjoy God through holy living. You see, the law doesn't go away in Christ. The law takes on this beautiful new full understanding. It's like in marriage. A young man says, well, I can only be with one woman forever. And an experienced man says, yes, you get to be with one woman forever. And the law is the same way. An immature Christian might say, I have to keep the law. And a faithful believer says, yes, you get to keep the law. Because it is God's gift to you. Which leads us to our second point. It's always right to bless others and to do good. No matter what the enemies of God's kingdom might say or do. We see this in chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. In order to show how this works out practically, meaning what we just saw at the end of chapter 2, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. So in the first story, we see his disciples plucking heads of grain. But to show the true freedom and purpose of the Sabbath, Jesus heals a man. And what we'll see is this is the only instance where Jesus initiates a healing. Now, we've already seen multiple times where people come to Jesus in droves. Heal me. Heal me. This is the only time where Jesus intentionally heals someone on his own initiation. And it's an intentional confrontation with the Pharisees. He is intentionally confronting the Pharisees. Well, we need to be clear that the Pharisees agreed that saving life on the Sabbath trumped the law of rest. And so, if the law was, you can go 39 steps away from your house, and yet 42 steps away, someone is about to die, you can go save them. But, if 42 steps away from your house, someone has fallen down and sprained an ankle, they can wait until tomorrow. Their life is not on the line. And that was the point here. This man had a withered hand. His hand was no longer usable. He was not about to die. And so the Pharisees would have said, he can wait. That's work. Healing is work. Work is a violation of the Sabbath. He can wait. But Jesus here intentionally violates their tradition. Now pay attention to my words. I didn't say he violates the Sabbath. He violates their tradition, and he does that to show something greater. He is actually fulfilling and explaining the Sabbath, but in doing so, he's violating their tradition. He actually shows through the healing of the man's hand what the Sabbath is for, which is to give life and to give health to the people of God. Jesus is also showing he has authority over the Sabbath by performing this miracle. Do you remember back in chapter 1 when he's teaching in the synagogue and the man burst in with... The demon, he casts out the demon. And what do the people say? This is a new teaching with authority. When the paralyzed man comes through the roof and he lays, he's laid before Jesus, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And in order that they would know his forgiveness of sin was authoritative, what did he do? He said, get up and take your bed and go home. He taught and forgave with authority. And so in order that the Pharisees understand what he's saying about the Sabbath is true, he's going to demonstrate his authority 
who are healing the man's hand. But we also need to think about this logically. It would be self-contradictory if Jesus violated the Sabbath law. He would be contradicting himself. Because he is God. The Sabbath law is from God. And if Jesus perfectly held the law and fulfilled the law, which the Word says he does, then if breaking the Sabbath through healing was something he did, he would be contradicting himself. And God will not contradict himself. And so we can have assurance that if Jesus does something on the Sabbath, even if it doesn't make sense to us, it's right. Because the Sabbath is his. There have been and will be in the future times when Christians stand in the way of the gospel because of our traditions. Let me say that again. There have been and will be again in the future times when we stand in the way of the gospel because of our traditions. Like the Pharisees, we will oppose gospel ministry on the grounds of wrongly held traditions. It's happened. It will happen again. This is not an accusation at anybody. This is from the text itself. And I want us to see. Sometimes we hold so tightly to our traditions, failing to evaluate them biblically, that we set up barriers to God. And like the Pharisees, we tell the man with the withered hand, you can wait. It might be that we tell the one who enjoys a drink, you must be dry before coming to Jesus. Or the one who gives a portion or nothing at all, we might tell them, until you give more, you can't come to God or be a part of our church. It could be something with our church life. Honor our traditions or you can't be a part. Follow our rules or you can't be a part. But in the end, what we see is that the Pharisees end up violating their own convictions. Because they can't deal with Jesus. They end up violating their own convictions because they just can't deal with Jesus. Last week I opened with the, the quote from the life coach. Uh, something to the effect of you will change when it becomes too painful. Right? You remember that? When the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same, flip-flop those, you'll change. And I said, I disagree with that because there's too many examples of people clinging to their pain when change is possible and they end up dying in their pain. The Pharisees are doing just that. It would have been far better and far less painful for them to recognize Jesus is right, even though in recognizing Jesus is right means I'm wrong. They cling to their idolatry. They cling to their sin. They cling to their traditions and end up violating their own convictions because it says... In verse 6 of chapter 3, they went out and held counsel with the Herodians. Now maybe you know who the Herodians are, maybe you don't. The Herodians were followers of Herod, King Herod Agrippa, who was a puppet governor of Rome, who was a terrible person. This is the man who killed John the Baptist. And so in order to get rid of Jesus, instead of saying, is what this man is saying right, they decide it's better that we just kill him. And in order to get rid of him, they go conspire with the very people that they say stay away from. 
Do you remember the law in Exodus? Keep yourself away from sinners. And who do they go conspire with? Sinners. They hold so tightly to their traditions that they're willing to not only kill Jesus, but to violate their own beliefs. You see, when we are backed into a corner, our true colors, our true faith shows forth. When we're backed into a corner, our faith is either shown to be godly or worldly. And so how do we reflect and apply this? We need to ask this question, is Jesus our rest? Is Jesus our rest? Now that's a major biblical theme. Jesus being the fulfillment of the Sabbath. That's a huge biblical theme and we're not going to deal with it but minimally this morning. You see many people today are walking around trusting in their good Christian behavior. That's what they trust in. I go to church. I'm involved in a Sunday school class. I do this. I own a Bible. I own multiple Bibles. I do this, that, and the other, and that tells me I'm a good Christian. There are a lot of people walking around today trusting in their behavior. Some of you, perhaps. These are the people who, like the Pharisees, are very quick to point out the rules. Very quick to be critical of others' behavior. If this is you this morning, you're either most likely upset with me for getting in your business or realizing that your spiritual life is in fact dry and lifeless. If you this morning are trying to behave your way to Jesus through rule keeping and expecting others to behave along with you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to you. The gospel is offensive to our attempts to be good enough on our own because the gospel says our behavior gets us nowhere. The gospel also says that no one's required to meet your standards anyhow. Our best efforts, brothers and sisters, our best efforts to behave our way to God only ever work against us and against others. See on your notes there, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I've memorized this a long time ago, and it becomes sweeter and sweeter over the years. But Galatians 5, verse 1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. We see this in the story of the Exodus. When God had freed the Israelites from Egypt, what did they do? They whined, we had it better in Egypt. And God says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to that slavery. Don't go back to thinking you can, get, you can behave your way to God on your own because you can't. That's slavery. And not only is it slavery, it presents a wrong picture of the gospel to the world. And so in your notes you see there, first, we are freed from sin through the gospel. We are, in fact, it is a fact, it is a truth, it is an eternal truth that in Christ we are freed from sin. 
We are freed from the oppression of sin. We are freed from rule keeping as a means to God. We are freed from the behavioral gospel. That lie that says I can behave my way to God. Jesus frees us from the need to justify ourselves. But not only are we freed from sin, we need to see that we are freed to obedience. We're not just freed from sin, we are freed into obedience. You see, before Christ, I can't rightly obey God through the law because I'll just try to make it my own. I'll just try to make it my ladder to get to God. But through Christ, what I see is it's not a ladder to God. It's full and free access to God because of Jesus Christ. And so I'm free to obedience, to joyful living, to the encouragement of others. I'm actually freed to rest. You see, non-Christians don't rest. And you probably know that from experience. Christians don't sometimes rest. Because rest, brothers and sisters, is found in knowing Jesus. In trusting totally in Jesus. In trusting Him for the forgiveness of my sins, which means I'm made right with God because of Him, but also for the assurance of my ongoing faith. And so I said this last week, we need to ask this again. Are our traditions reflecting God's traditions? Are our traditions, not just church traditions, but our personal traditions? Are the ways in which we go about our Christian lives reflecting God's traditions of saving the lost and binding up the broken? Let's bow our heads and pray. If you are here today and you've never trusted King Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, I urge you and I invite you to do so. There's no magical prayer. God wants to hear from your heart to cry out for forgiveness and salvation. But if you're here today as a believer and you realize you've been acting as a Pharisee, God beckons you to come to him for forgiveness, to come to him to seek repentance for that. Because, brothers and sisters, Galatians 5, 1 is true. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are freed from slavery of sin and freed to joy-filled obedience before Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is truthful and that it is right. We thank You, Lord, that You are our salvation, that You are our hope, and, Lord, that You are our rest. Lord, as we respond now, I pray that we would respond in faith and in worship and in humility because you, God, give grace to the humble, but you oppose the proud. Lord, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand now and worship and respond. The altar's open. I'm available to pray if you'd like to pray.